0: Would you open God's Word and turn with me to Isaiah 61, Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3, and today I'm going to be preaching about the oak tree. I know here in Columbus we don't know a lot about oak trees. Just kidding. This is the city of live oaks and live folks, if you didn't know it. Uh, did you know that in 2016, the Texas Forest Service declared the oak that's sort of a cross- the street from our post office, declared it the largest Quercus Virginiana Oak in Texas, 75 feet tall, 329 inches in circumference. They don't really know how old the Columbus Oak is over there, but they say at least it would be 500 years, perhaps even longer. But what's amazing is how these massive trees They began as an acorn. Isn't that amazing to think of how large they are now, but then to think about where they started. No wonder in 1385, an English poet named Geoffrey Chaucer said, mighty oaks from little acorns grow. You know, that's the title I want to give the message today because within every acorn, within every acorn is the genetic code of a big oak tree. You know, when you share the gospel seed, you won't believe all that is in there, packed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, trees are often mentioned in scripture, aren't they? Can you remember a tree at the beginning in Genesis? Wasn't that where we failed? We made a mistake when we took of the wrong tree. There was a tree. God said, you can eat of it. You won't die. But if you eat of this tree over here, the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And we did, we, we disobeyed what God said. That's the beginning of the Bible. Do you know at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, the very last chapter, guess what? That tree of life shows up again in heaven. And it's like, how can we go from that tree where we made such a great mistake, where we rebelled against God, to make it all the way to the tree that's there in His presence that, once again, it says it brings healing to the nations. Have you ever wondered what can ever bring our nation healing again? I'll tell you what it is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Gospel. It's the only way that we can be healed as a nation. And so we've got an incredible message that we can share. You know, in the Bible, like I said, trees are mentioned quite often. I wanted to show you who is the arborist in the Bible. Do you know who knows the most about trees? I don't know for sure, but my guess is Isaiah. I wanna show you in Isaiah 41, verses 19 to 20, something he says, "'I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, "'the myrtle, and the olive. "'I will set in the desert, the cypress, the plain, and the pine together, that they may see and know and may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this, the Holy One of Israel has created it. not that amazing? He mentioned seven trees just like that. You know, I'm thinking to myself, trees, like he says here in these two verses, Isaiah 41, 19 and 20, trees have a message. I believe that God's Word wants to bring that out Did you know that as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is making a mighty oak? Maybe sometimes you, you're like me, we feel like a little acorn and we're thinking, I'm no mighty oak, but wait a minute. Let's look at what God's word says in Isaiah 61 verses one through three, because God's going to say, you are all going to be like oaks of righteousness, is what he says, Do you know that you and I only have one shot at righteousness? You know what that one shot is? The imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only he was right. Our righteousness, Isaiah will later say, is like filthy rags. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ is so perfect. And so all we've got to do is get his righteousness coming into our life and flowing through our life And that's what the gospel does. It introduces us to our Savior who died on the cross, who shed his blood for us, who was placed in a tomb and who rose again three days later. I'm telling you, there's something very powerful about that gospel message. And when you receive that gospel message into your heart and into your life, when you embrace it, when you turn from sin and place your faith in the atonement, the finished work, of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. I'm telling you, powerful things begin to be unleashed in your life. And so I want us to look at this passage. Do you know that this passage is actually quoted in the Gospel of Luke? In the Gospel of Luke in chapter four, verses 16 to 21, there's something incredible that happens. As a matter of fact, Andrew Davis, in his commentary on Isaiah, says that Luke 4, 16 to 21, was one of the most dramatic moments in redemptive history. It happened in Nazareth. This is the hometown of Jesus. Jesus goes into a synagogue. You know what they did? They said, would you do the reading today? And they hand him the scroll. And he looks, and it's the scroll of Isaiah. And he opens it up, and he opens it up to where we're gonna look today, Isaiah 61. He read verses one and two. We're going to go ahead and include verse three, but he read, he read verses one and two and you won't believe it. He sits down and he says that day, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what was so significant about that? What was significant was what you're about to read was written over 700 years before Jesus was even born before he came to this earth. And so I'm thinking, this is incredible. And the people there that day, they were in shock. And so don't lose that amazement of what Jesus is going to say in Nazareth, what he's gonna say today right here in Columbus, but also what he's gonna say to us through this incredible prophecy of Isaiah. Would you stand in honor of God's word? Isaiah 61 Verses one through three. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to, the, to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we get our eyes off of you. Sometimes we forget our true identity, our birthright in Christ. Lord, remind us what that small acorn of the gospel, what it can accomplish if we'll just turn it loose in our lives, in our community, in our world. And so Lord, would you continue to raise up oaks of righteousness right here in Columbus. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. I wanna share with you um, three words this morning. I wanna give you the word power, and then I wanna give you the word potential, and then I wanna give you the word produce. I believe all three of these words are key to this passage that we're about to look at this morning. First is the word power. Power for the proclamation of the gospel is, I believe, right at the heart of what the first part of this verse says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That's what later Jesus was going to say in that synagogue in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, he would say, because the Lord has anointed me. For what? to bring good news to the poor. Let's just look at that in depth because there's power that comes to every Christian, every disciple who says yes to the good news of Jesus Christ, to the gospel of Christ. Guess what? The Holy Spirit comes to reside within our lives and to empower us. And so let's look at it together. You know, he uses the word anointing there. I believe that anointing, if you look in the Old Testament, they would pour olive oil on someone's head or they would touch them with oil and it was symbolic, but it was poured out upon certain offices like the prophet, the priest, the king. Those were the ones that were anointed, but whenever they would anoint them, it was symbolic of something, symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming to empower them, to equip them for what God had called them to do. And so in this case, Jesus was saying, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now there's one modifying clause that comes after anoint. The key verb is anoint. So why was Jesus anointed by the Holy Spirit? It's very simple, he says, to bring good news, to bring good news to the poor. I thought, okay, there's the anointing of power. There's the agent of power, the Holy Spirit. The application of power is he's going to be sharing good news, but who's the poor? Does it mean materially poor? Does it mean financially poor? So if that's true, then we don't even need to take the gospel to those who are rich, Wealthy to those with position and so forth. No, I think if you'll read through the New Testament, you'll discover poor is a reference to spiritual poverty, spiritual bankruptcy. No matter if someone has a lot of money or if they have zero, I mean nothing. Everybody is spiritually bankrupt. No one is except. And so think about how all of us need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ no matter who we are. As a matter of fact, if you read in the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Jesus has been addressing certain churches. And when he gets to the last church, it's the church at Laodicea. And what Jesus says is, you say that you're rich and you're wealthy and in need of nothing. But he said, actually, if you only could see spiritually. What does God see when He looks across the United States? What does God see when He looks across the world? Lord willing, next Sunday afternoon, I'll be leaving to head to Ethiopia to share the gospel with the people of Ethiopia. They don't have as much as Americans in general. But here's the thing, Americans need the gospel just as well as Ethiopians need the gospel. That's why all of us need to make sure that we're saying, God, please, Empower me so that I can take the good news to the people who need it, that are around me. I encourage you sometime to read the little letter of 1 John. In 1 John, it actually uses the same word, anointing. Do you know that he says twice in 1 John chapter two, verse 20, and in 1 John chapter two, verse 27, two times, John says, all of us have the anointing within us. False teachers were trying to shake them up back then. But he said, don't let anybody shake you up because the spirit of truth, he is the anointing that we have and he will guide you into all truth. So let's move from the power for the proclamation of the gospel to one more thing, the potential. The potential within the penetration of the gospel. So if you say, okay, the Lord's calling me to go and take the gospel to the people in my neighborhood, in my school, where I work. The Lord's calling me to spread the gospel around the world, so I'm gonna do it. What would happen if we do that? All of us, all of us together. If we just take the gospel, what is in that little acorn, let's say, of the gospel message? Well, let's read on in verse one. He said, he has sent me, And then after he says he sent me, he gives a series of six or seven infinitive clauses that modify sent. And so remember before the anointing had one infinitive clause that modified, it, and it was to preach the gospel to the poor. But notice this, listen to the times he keeps repeating the word to, 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 to. You'll hear it over and over again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. What's the anointing for? To bring good news to the poor. But then he says another verb. He has sent me. He has sent you. He has sent us. Why? Here's what will happen if we share the gospel. To bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance upon our God. Two, comfort all who mourn. Two, grant to those who mourn in Zion. Two, give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Isn't that wonderful? All of those things, they are potential. That's what the gospel can do in a life. That's what the gospel did in your life, wasn't it? I certainly, when I read these words, it's so personal for me because I can see Jesus doing each one of those things in my life. Think back what your life was like without him. Think about the people who are at your school and the people who are at work, people in our community. Do you know anybody out there that's brokenhearted? What will ever, what will ever heal their broken heart? What would ever give hope to somebody who's hopeless and saying, I don't have any hope left. I know something, I know someone, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Within the gospel message is the potential to heal a broken heart. Do you know anybody out there that's in a prison, a prison of addiction, something that they're saying, I can't get out, I try to climb out of this hole, but I can't get out on my own. You know what can get them out? You know what can open the prison doors? It says to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. The gospel will set the captive free. He who the son sets free is free indeed. There's a third potential whenever we share the gospel. He says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, that goes all the way back to something they did in the Old Testament. It was called the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, all the people who had debts, suddenly their debts were forgiven. It was always on the 50th year. And so it was an incredible time when all those debts could be forgiven. How can we have our sin debt forgiven? There's only one way, through Christ. And that's because He paid the debt that you and I owe. He paid our sin debt. And so that debt, you don't have to go around with your head down feeling guilty. You don't have to worry. Oh, no, I know the day of vengeance is coming because he says that. He talks about proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you better also include this in your gospel presentations and the day of vengeance of our God. You better tell them both. Yes, Our sin deserves judgment. Every one of us, everybody in our community, everybody across the United States, if we do not accept the offering of salvation through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, if we say no to God's grace, no to God's mercy, what are we depending on to get us into eternity, to get us into heaven? Our own righteousness, we don't have any. That's why we need to turn to the Lord and say, God, I need your favor, I need your forgiveness. I need the cancellation of all my spiritual sin debts here. And so to me, this is wonderful news that a debtor like me can by God's grace have his sin debt erased and it's all gone and I don't owe anything else. But then I love the last part as well because we can have joy. We can have joy that will replace all the sorrow. Do you have sorrow in your heart? in your life? I remember before my younger brother uh, trusted Christ, I had people tell me, you know, your brother, he seems like one of the saddest guys that I've ever met. If you could meet my younger brother, Keith, ever since he met Jesus Christ, he's one of the most joyful, funny, humorous guys to be around. He just is like a joke a minute, you know, just constantly keeping you laughing. You see, God he wants people to experience joy. Oh, it's true. In this broken world, we experience mourning, don't we? We experience sorrow and grief. All of these things, we, we know what ashes are like. If you ever burn down your life, it's in ashes. And up from the ashes, God can raise something fresh and new. Those are things only God can do. See, you see those around you in this room singing with their whole heart, And you're thinking, what if they got to sing about? But listen, you could sing. You could sing from your heart with joy if you knew the grace and the forgiveness. If you have heaven as your home, you would be so excited to sing. All of that is like the potential that the gospel can bring once it penetrates a life. Let me give you one last word, the word produce. We looked at the word power the power for the proclamation of the gospel and the word potential, potential within the penetration of the gospel. But I want us to close where this passage closes with the produce from the propagation of the gospel. See, I think God wants to, he wants to sow like a big forest in Columbus. It's a forest filled with oaks, with big trees, you know, the commentator Moityer, a theologian, said that right here, when you get to this part of verse three, you don't see that word to anymore, do you? No, it stops. Now he uses the word that, that they may be, called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You see, Moitier says, now we're not talking about the potential. We're not talking about what the gospel is aiming at. No, this is the finished product. This is like God saying, when I get done, this is what it's gonna look like. This is the accomplishment of the cross, the accomplishment of the resurrection, the accomplishment of the gospel, the accomplishment of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it look like? It looks like the last part of verse three, where it says they're gonna be called oaks of righteousness the planning of the Lord that he may be glorified. I'll tell you what it looks like. The produce, whenever the gospel is really propagated out there, people will stand together rather than standing apart. Look closely at the pronoun in this last part. That you, singular, no way. That they, they, it's plural. That they may be called one oak, oaks, plural, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Do you know they say that over in England, there's a couple of different types, at least, of oak trees. One type of oak tree is called a field oak, and you'll see it out in a field all by itself. And then you'll see others called woodland oaks. And the woodland oaks grow together in big old groves, big, big forests of oak trees and they, they support one another and they stand together. And when those strong winds come, they're there for one another. Isn't that what Jesus is doing? When He calls his people to be united, to come together, to come together in local churches, come together in the body of Christ. The oneness that we all are so hungry for, we're craving, it's only found in Christ. And it's hinted at here that they may be So now we're going to talk about identity. We were talking about the incorporation into a local church, but now we're going to talk about identification in Christ. Our identity. Do you know what the Bible calls you? The Bible calls you a son or a daughter of God. The Bible calls you to righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Here it's called that they may be called oaks. You see, your spiritual birthright is not to be some little reed blowing in the wind. That's what Jesus said when they were saying about John the Baptist. He said, what did you expect? To see a little weed blowing in the wind? No, God wants to make you an oak tree. All those storms, they blow and they blow and they rage against you. And it goes through seasons where it's extreme heat, where it's extreme cold and yet you're just still there. You're so consistent and steady. That's your birthright. That's who you are. You are called to be an oak. And once again, to remember, when he calls you an oak of righteousness, it's not your achievement. It's not my achievement. It's his achievement. That, That righteousness, like I said, is imputed righteousness, the imputation of righteousness. You see, amputation is to remove something. But imputation is to add something. And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to add his righteousness into your life and let it flow and turn loose. But notice the initiation of the relationship. Who's gonna do all this anyway? I love it. It says the planting of the Lord. Do you know that God's desire is not a ritual? It's not a religion. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts for you. It's a personal relationship. God says, I'm going to do the planting. I'm going to put that acorn in there, and I'm going to see that thing until He who began a good work in you, He will not back away from it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to accomplish what He started in your life because He's a part of it. He's there. And then the inauguration of the King. You know, maybe the whole problem is somebody Somebody like self, or maybe somebody, you know, that's in the popular crowd, a peer pressure, a peer, or maybe a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, a kid, or maybe some other other person across this country. Somebody else on the throne. Listen, you were made, I was made to give God glory. And you're never gonna be happy and I'll never be happy until the desire of our heart, the heartbeat of our heart is, I live to glorify God. Oh, this is my job. Oh yeah, I'm just a student right now. But what I want to live for is what he says here at the end, that he may be glorified. When you line up with that, I guarantee you, power's coming. Growth is coming. God's glory's coming. Whenever you're saying, Lord, that's what I want to be. I can't help but believe that God's desire for each one of us in this room. No, he's not just kind of making some kind of flimsy little plant there. No, he wants you to be an oak, an oak of righteousness. I like Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. It talks about how we are like um, like a tree, he says in verse 3. That the man or the woman of God will be like a tree. It's a metaphor, right? But you're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. That's your identity. That's your birthright. That's what God wants in your life. He wants to make you like a tree. There's so much we can learn from trees. Did you know that a tree has a natural desire like in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, where it turns away from darkness and turns toward the light. Just try planting a tree and putting it in a window. That tree is going to turn and face the sunlight. Are you turning in your life? That's what repentance is. Tired of darkness. I'm turning to the light. But also it puts down roots. Do you know that they say an oak tree, the roots, if you were to stretch them out, they'd go five miles. How deep are your roots? Are you just... Shallow in the faith, put the roots down deep in Christ. Put the roots down deep in the word of God. Just like he says, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. Are you planted? Offer shade from the heat. You know, you ever sat underneath a tree? You ought to say to those around you, hey, listen, if life is hard and harsh right now, come around me. I want to be shade for you. I want you to find rest under me. They also bring forth fruit. Didn't Jesus say that you would know a tree? How? How are you going to know a tree? By it's fruit. What kind of fruit can we see in your life? Is it, is it fruit that God could produce? And then I like it because in that psalm, it says that he, he uh, makes it through all these seasons yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Trees. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time to look into your word. It's just so powerful. It will not come back to you void. And so, God, I thank you so much for what you want to do through this. I, I was praying today that primarily you would edify your people today. And so I pray that people feel edified and encouraged that they know the truth. I know that your word says the truth will set us free. And so I pray that it does today. But bless us as we go into this invitation time. If there's anyone here, Lord, who needs to make a decision, I pray that they would, that they would want to follow Christ for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.